Amen. Good morning. My name is uh, Pastor Canaan, one of the pastors here at Pillar. Go ahead and open your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians. We're going to continue in that book. While you're turning there, I need your help. Anybody remember Space Jam? Not the new, not the new LeBron trash. Yes, I'm talking about the old school Space Jam. What was the name of the substance in the bottle that they would drink from and immediately have amazing, miraculous powers to play ball like Jordan? What was the name of, what was the name of it? Not Gatorade. Yeah, yeah, it was Michael's Secret Stuff. Michael's Secret Stuff. What's beautiful is that, you know, I, I watched Space Jam like two, three days ago. And they were like, you want to watch the new one? And I was like, I don't want to watch that LeBron thing. I want to watch that Jordan thing. Y'all know where I stand. I'm just letting y'all know where I stand. It's important. Yes. And I started thinking about this concept of Michael's secret stuff. And we have a different term that we use for that. You know, colloquially, we kind of speak to ourselves. We're always looking for that secret sauce. Right? We want the secret sauce. We want to, what is the secret sauce? So I took some time, looked it up online, and got a definition of the secret sauce. Let's see if this will work. It's not working. Give me a click, Janetti. Can you give me a click? It's a secret. Oh, wrong slide. There we go. It's just technical difficulties, y'all. The Lord Jesus is still in control. All right. Go back. You're giving away my whole sermon. No? Nothing? It's, oh, so I can go. So I, I can go. So I can't go. Can you just click it through for me? All right. Give me that definition of the secret sauce. Yeah. Jesus is on the throne, y'all. Check that out. Come on. Come on. Who said he ain't real? Secret sauce. I looked it up. I'm going to keep this for the pointer. A secret element, strategy, procedure. Usually we're looking for this first one, secret element. That accounts for increases the chances of success. Usually we're looking for the secret sauce as a quick fix. Something quick. Something fast. Something that will... Solve the problem without me having to put in any of the work. We're always looking for the secret sauce. Name the thing that you're chasing. I'm going to name some stuff that I've chased in my life, maybe still chasing. Trying to build wealth. Some of y'all are there. Trying to get healthy. Trying to develop a jump shot. <laughs> Trying to teach your kids manners. Trying to heal from a hard situation. All of us have spent money time and gas trying to find and keep and get the secret sauce. None of us have ever found the secret sauce. That's because, newsflash, secret sauce doesn't exist. It's never existed, but we keep falling for it like it does. Y'all watch infomercials? Buy this, all your problems are solved. You buy it, the rash is still there. Right? I mean, that's just the reality of the situation is what we're programmed, we're built because of what sin has done to us to look for the secret sauce. Look for the quick fix. It doesn't matter if you're trying to eat an elephant. There's only one way 
to do this thing. It's to, to keep positive and one bite at a time. That's the way that we need to do it. We need to search. Uh, we search for the secret sauce only to be disappointed. On our journey through life, we have goals and that we desire to reach. We have hurts that we want to be healed from. At least I do. And I know y'all do. We have bondage to things that we're really hoping to be free from. At least I got things that I'm hoping that no longer terrorize me at night. And because there's no such thing as secret sauce, what tends to happen is that we grow weary. We grow, these, these things begin to, to wear on us. They begin to be a load on our back. You guys understand this. <clears throat> a lot of us have been faithfully paying off our student loans for about 15 years. And then you open up that good old website, about $10 came off the top. What happens? You, you get disheartened. Some of us have been chasing getting healthy for about 10, no, we've been chasing getting healthy for about 10 minutes. I have the complex. The, the, the commercial said, go to the gym, eat right. I did that for three days. How come I don't see the six pack yet? So we look for the secret sauce. We go and buy the latest supplement, the latest pill. We find the latest program. We find the latest food that's supposed to burn double the calories within your body so that you can, your metabolism will, will rush up and then we're disappointed. It didn't work like me, but it worked for them. What, what's wrong with me? And you get disheartened. Some of us have been trying to save money. And every time you get a little bit ahead, you save a little $500, what happens? Your car breaks. Your water heater goes out. Your electric bill was higher than you expected. Right? This is real life. I don't know if it's y'all. I guess it ain't y'all. It's just me. We jacked up, baby. It's just us. <laughs> this happens. We're just, just trying to get a little bit ahead, and then a setback comes. If you can identify with these things, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here because I think God has a word for you this morning. He has a word of endurance for you. He wants you to endure. Opening your copy of God's word, Galatians chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 9. This is what the scripture says. It says, let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. The verse preaches itself. That's one of the beauties sometimes of, of being able to preach is sometimes it's just that simple. Now, contextually, the good that's being spoken of here is in reference to the fruits of the spirit that we've just covered a couple of weeks back in Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are what I call quintessential good things, amazing things. These are the things you want to be known and remembered for and by. This is the list you want to identify with. Remember that there are false teachers in the region in the church of Galatia whose aim is to hoodwink the people into believing a false gospel. They're trying to convince the people that the good that they need to hold on to is their own good works. Because if they don't perform for God, God will not accept you. 
See, what they believe is that you have to do in order for God to, display, to, 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 dis, to disseminate, to give his love. And remember, we even liken this to a child. What child do we say, you have to perform for me to love you, my son? It sounds cruel when you put it in a family context. However, somehow, some way, when we put it into the context of the divine, we actually live by this creed, even if we don't believe it mentally. We live by this. If I perform, God will bless. How do I know? Because we've all prayed those prayers. God, if I do this, can you please do? I promise I'll never do this again. If you, this is God, this is a works-based faith. And that faith is not accepted in the sight of God. He doesn't ask you to do. He asks you to behold. He asks you to gaze on him, believe on him, and he does the doing in and through you. That's why you never follow through on the thing you promised God you were going to follow through on. Because it's you and your strength trying to do it. It's like a New Year's resolution. January 31st, you done broke it three times. Because it's your strength. But there are false teachers in the region of Galatia that are promoting this and they're having success. And they're saying the good that you have to cling to is your own righteousness. If you cling to your own righteousness, God will take you. He will accept you. And what Paul is teaching the Galatians is, no, it's by faith that God accepts you and loves you. And those good works come as a result of what he's doing within you. That's how you end up emulating this list. Because you can't apart from the spirit of God. You can for about 10 minutes. Anybody can fake the funk for a little while. But then the situations come that bring the real you out. That's what COVID did. That's what Trump did. Yeah. I ain't endorsing nobody. I'm saying that dude became president. Everybody had smoke with each other. The true colors came out. Polarizing things tend to bring out the real us. Tragedies bring out the real us. Situations, betrayals bring out the real us. You want to be patient and kind and peaceful and good and faithful and gentle during a betrayal? The Spirit of God does that in you. During a tragedy, the Spirit of God does that in you. It's good. To, you can do it now, five minutes. Can you do it when the rubber meets the road? This is what the text says. Give me a click, Anjanetti. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul's reminding them. He says, and yet because we know that a person is not Capital word, not justified. Let me see if I did my homework. Let me see if I did my, if I taught y'all. What does the word justified mean? To be declared righteous before God. That God looks at you and he says, clean. That's what justified means. He looks at you and he says, blameless, sinless. Not because you actually are sinless, but because he gave his son who was sinless as your substitute. So now when he sees you, he sees sinless son or daughter because the blood covers you. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by works, by their works, by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Beloved, we, we are made right. If you don't believe, remember anything else from this sermon, you are made right with God by faith, Amen. 
not by your work. And all of the good work that comes out of you is a representation and a reflection of the faith that is within you. Okay, like if you don't remember anything else, at least hold on to that. Now, understanding this, our desire, even as Christians, is to do good and be good as a reflection of our faith. But that's not the end of the story. There is an adversary that is real and doesn't quite like us. Satan's goal is to dishearten us by making us think that the fruit in our good actions that we do should be growing faster than it is. Not yet. Did that, was that me or you? That could have been me, my bad. Could be growing faster than it is. Remember the ploys of Satan we talked about last Sunday? He wants you to believe that your efforts of doing good, because check this out, your faith walk, it, it, it's progressing. And then a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the sin of comparison, where you look at that person's faith walk, and they're already at this place, and you've been walking in faith for as long as they have, but they're here, and you're here, and then you start getting disheartened, right? And so you start thinking, I should be X by now. They X, you not, work on you is kind of the idea. And then what Satan does is he starts to look at you, and he's like, you're right, you trash, you should be X by now. That's not God saying you should be this by now. There are times where he has said such things. But this is Satan doing it to dishearten you, where God is saying it to lift you up. Remember the difference between periazo and dokimazo, the two different kinds of testing? One is testing to lift you up. One is testing to destroy you. When you test your kids in a spelling test, you, 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 you're periazo. You're hoping that they succeed. I'm going to, uh, uh, baby, say this, spell this word, spell thanks. And they go, yes, I knew you could do it. Good testing. And then this testing, like, oh, yeah, it spells supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yep, yep. Yep, I knew you couldn't do it. That's bad. That's evil testing. Satan comes and he's like, yeah, you, your efforts are worthless. You should be here by now, but you're not. It's because you're trash. You know this little secret thing. You know what's up. Those goals that you made last year, you still ain't reach them, B. Some of us have been hurt by certain things and we're like, shouldn't I have been healed by now from that thing? We put some kind of satanic, demonic timeline on these things sometimes. He wants to dishearten you by focusing your attention on the negative of your situation rather than on the good of it. And as a result of our eyes being turned to the wrong place, we get weary. But God is telling us this in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Let us not get tired of doing good. There are two principles that I call keys to success in this. The first one is focus on the good. The second one is be patient and consistent. Focus on the good. Turn on the news, can't do that. You ever notice it's not even, they don't even do the good, the feel good story no more. It used to be, this person got shot, this person's on drugs, this person robbed a bank. Now for the good news story. They just skipped that now, and they're like, now for the war. It's crazy. We don't, we don't need help thinking about the hardness of life. We need help thinking about the good. I contend that it's always been that way. This was written in the first century. 
This wasn't written yesterday. This is written to a people who it was hard to remember the good. That's why Paul's saying it. And then be patient and consistent. Beloved, if, if we allow Satan to constantly direct our attention to the negative, it'll guarantee your destruction. Recently, I saw, I was watching YouTube and I saw a clip with this uh, Simon Sinek. He's like a leadership type guru dude. And he was given a story or illustration about skiers. And I don't know if you've ever seen cam footage, the helmet cam footage, when skiers are going down the side of a mountain and there's trees everywhere and they're just like, and you're just like, yo, like, especially when you watch it in 3D and you're like, oh, you like, you jumping in your seat, right? It's amazing. How do the skiers get through the trees? There's trees everywhere and they're just like, it ain't nothing. Trees ain't even there. There's a method to the madness. And one of the most beautiful things, they said, if you focus on the trees, all you'll ever see is trees and you're guaranteed to hit one. But if you focus on the path in and around the trees, all you see is path and opportunity. It's the people who focus on the path who live to tell the story of how to succeed through the trees. It's the people who focus on the trees who end up being destroyed by them. This is why Paul says to focus on the good. Because if Satan can turn your eyes to every negative reality within you, which he does, you don't sound the way you sound, you don't, you, you don't sound the way you want, you don't smell the way you want, you don't look the way you want, you're not as good at your job as you want to be, you're not, name it, your hair is not as smooth as you want. All of a sudden, what happens? You're disheartened. You grow weary. And then you're an easy casualty, fam. For focused on the hard of life, the painful of life, the sadness of life, the brokenness of life, the sin of life, these things will eventually take us out. Oftentimes, I have young men and women that come to me asking me, Pastor Canaan, how do I overcome addiction to pornography? That's, if y'all don't know, you know. It's a beast, okay? Monster. Before I heard the Simon Sinek stuff and before all this, I found success in this principle. Stop trying to overcome it. Stop constantly thinking about it. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying succumb to it. Listen. Stop constantly thinking about it. See, what happens is the thing that has us, our mind is so focused on being free from it that we have no mental capacity or space to think about anything else. And then we inevitably fall to it because we couldn't get it out of our purview to begin with. It's funny. I ask them, when you're playing basketball, are you thinking about it? No. Okay. When, you, when you're at home eating a bomb meal, are you thinking about it? No. I said, when does it beat you? Well, as soon as I think about it coming to get me. It's like the dumb people in scary movies. And they go, what is that? It's scary. Let me check it out. Oh, no. And then they trip on themselves. They're trying to get away because they wouldn't turn forward. They kept looking backwards and tripped over the couch. I tell people, think about your future. Think about all that God is doing in and through you. Think about what God is doing in you right now. I, I give them this passage, Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers... And sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Fix your mind, that literally means think. Fix your brain on these amazing realities around you and you'll find yourself battling those mental strongholds less. There's no secret sauce to beating it. It's training your mind to think about the holy. You can get the software on your computer. You're good with computers. You'll figure out a way around it. You have to train your mind to think about the lovely and the holy and the good and what God has done in and for. Think about all the mess you were in and where you are now. And how come you're not in that mess anymore? The grace of God. Turn your thinking. Shift. Change the atmosphere. Literally run like Joseph had. Literally just, just run out the room. But just turn your eyes. And there's victory found in thinking on these things. And I know firsthand that if you don't train your mind to think of these things, you will succumb and you will be hit by the trees. You're so determined to dodge. I promise you. Because I've been smashed into a few trees in my day. Now, as you're training your mind to think on these things, trust and believe that Satan's doing his level best to switch your mind back to the thing that has been shaming you and plaguing you to begin with. I want to give you all this reality. You ready? Satan wants you to die. He ain't your friend. Look what the scripture says about, about Satan. It says he's the accuser of the brethren. That's what it says about him. He's, the, he's your accuser. The situation you're in, you're trying to get free from, he's over there hurling accusations at your head. You know your family won't love you once they find out, right? You mean the next one, Janetti? He's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's Satan. You mean the next one? This is a good one. He's a liar and the father of lies. Can't believe nothing he says, even if it sounds right. Sounds like culture to me in a lot of ways. And then this one, this one's especially sneaky. He deceives us with mind games. Gets into our heads and gets us thinking all twisted and backwards. Satan wants you down, out, and depressed. But look what God said in Romans chapter 8. This is a beautiful passage. He said, therefore, there is no condemnation. There's no accusation against you for those who are in Christ Jesus. This, beloved, is one of the greatest statements of hope in all of the Bible. And if you don't underline anything in your Bible, underline Romans 8.1. There, therefore, is no condemnation. Not for everybody who's ever walked this earth. No, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation which demands that if you're outside of Christ Jesus, condemnation is rightly waiting for you. You can shut the mouth of Satan and stunt his lies by remembering the good of God's truth for you, by remembering the growth that you've made in Jesus. Bump the setbacks, beloved. Don't put your eyes there. Focus on the path and celebrate the progress. You remember the first principle was to focus on the good. The second one was to be patient and consistent. Look at Galatians 6, 9 again. It says, don't get tired of focus on the good, but here, let us not 
get tired. That's hard. Help us to not grow weary of doing the good. So we're focusing on the good. That's great. But now he's saying don't get tired. Why is Paul telling the Galatians not to get tired of doing good? Because they're getting tired of doing good. Right? Anytime you see an instructive in the text, it's because the people who the author's probably writing to is probably not doing that thing or needs to be spurred on in that thing. It's easy for us to get tired. Paul's telling us that he knows that we're prone to get tired, to believe the lie that our growth, our healing, our skill set, even community transformation that we seek, any good thing that we do, we're, we're, we're convinced that it has to or it should happen quickly. It's one of Satan's schemes is to make you think that things should be happening rapidly. But the deepest, most profound things in life never happen quickly or rapidly. They're generally a slow build. Those roots take time to dig down. Remember I talked about bamboo? Plant it in the ground. You don't see nothing for 10 months. Why? Them roots, they go down deep. So deep that it's almost impossible to get it out. And then it just grows overnight. That wasn't overnight, beloved. It was That was months and months and months of it digging roots. But Satan makes you think things are are quick. They happen fast. No, beloved, many of these things are are brick by brick. They're step by step, step as it pertains to our healing, as it pertains to community transformation, as it pertains to your growth, as it pertains to your relationship with people and with God. This is a slow cooker type of situation. This is not a, a fast thing. But we grow weary. I want to know you, Lord. I want to be intimate with you. I want to be close to you. I prayed last night. Why am I not so close? See, y'all do it too. It's the go to the gym mentality. I went, I did my crunches. It didn't work. I quit. Consistency is the only way. Even with relationships, I went on a date with her. She, she must love me now. No, she don't know you. And your breath was a little stank. Anyway, I counsel sometimes and hear things, you know. You see, God knew that our perception would be off. He knows that you want to grow in him. He knows that you want to be intimate with him. But he also knows that we're, as humans, going to perceive God's tools for growing in him as mundane and slow. And so we inevitably revert to looking for the secret sauce. And then we ignore God's prescriptive methods of being intimate and growing with him. You want to make an impact in your community? I get it. I want to, too. He's given us a prescriptive method to do so. He knows that you want to flourish spiritually. I do too. But he's told us what to do. But it sounds mundane. But the mundane things of God are anything but mundane. They're actually supernatural. Satan has fooled us into thinking that they're not. Reading your Bible is not mundane. You're reading the very communication of the divine when you read the scriptures. That is a supernatural event. That is the creator of heaven and earth communicating to you. When you open and read, that's supernatural. 
when you speak unto God, that's not mundane. That's a supernatural reality that you are communicating to the creator of heaven and earth who made you and knows you and gives you breath. That's not, that's not just regular people. Bump what Satan says. Yo, we got to get that out. We got to get that stuff out of us. That's powerful. Fasting is supernatural. Beloved, when you share your faith with somebody, that's a supernatural event occurring right there. Even if our finite eyes can't see the realities of what's going on, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know when you heard the gospel and it compelled you unto Jesus, something happened to you that you couldn't explain. It's Jesus now. Ten minutes ago it wasn't, but something happened to me. It's called being quickened unto eternal life. It was just some jacked up words from some Joe Schmo around the corner that talked to you, but for some reason, I am not the same. It's because it's supernatural stuff that comes out of our lips, even though it looks mundane to the regular, untrained, naked human eye. There's proof of this. Jesus says, and this isn't up there, but listen, Jesus says that God's word is like a nutritious substance by which we live and grow in Matthew 4.4. How do we live and grow naturally? Food and water. Jesus says, yeah, you thought it was just food and water and bread, huh? Nah, my word sustains you. That's the resurrected one saying it. So it's true. Ain't nobody else resurrecting out here and telling me nothing. Prayer was the weapon that Jesus employed to protect his disciples and to comfort himself. To the naked eye, prayer is just talking to the air. Jesus prayed for Peter because Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. And he said, I got you. I've been praying for you. You will not fall. He was in the garden distraught about what he's about to go through, and he prayed and was instantly comforted. It's just some words in the air. No, it's not. That's supernatural. This one's... Uh, y'all think fasting's a weight loss tool? Think it's just not eating? It's being hungry? Oh, looking at the Tums? Tums taste good when you ain't eat for a while. Don't sleep. Jesus fasted for 40 days and emerged physically weak but spiritually beastly, Luke 4.14. It says he came out of the wilderness and he was full of the power, the spirit of God. There's something supernatural that occurs when we do this thing right. Every day as you faithfully engage in these mundane means of grace, you will grow, you will heal, you will impact, but the key is over time. It's not tomorrow. You won't be Superman tomorrow. You know how I know this? Galatians 6, 9 told me so. Look, let us not get tired of doing good, right? For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. You want the healing? It's coming. Promise. You want to grow in intimacy with Jesus? Amazing. It's coming. Promise. What's the good that you do that you've been striving for? I want this whole community transformed, not because the city put money in it, but because the gospel did work in the souls of its residents. I want that. I'm not stopping. You can't stop. That's a great 
honorable, good, Jesus-glorifying thing. I don't want him to say, oh, Canaan. No, Jesus rolled through. Don't give up. Press on. We give up so quick, so easy. We're, what happened to the tenacity that we used to have for all these other things in the world? But when it comes to the faith, we quit tomorrow. We got this hunger, this thirst. We want to be, we want to achieve, we want to do. Ah, but when it comes to the faith, it's like, eh. I feel, like, I, feel like this is like a hood, I feel like Satan just hoodwinking us to think and, and want and desire things. This is what he said. Look what he says in, to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3.13. But as for you, he's talking to a whole nother city, a whole nother church in another city. He says, but as for you, brothers and sisters, don't grow weary in doing good. Sounds like it's a pervasive problem. This is what I want us to do this morning. If this is... You, in whatever area in which it may be, and I want to give you time to do this, if you're growing weary in your well-doing, we're going to take the time together to remember the gospel and ask God to give us endurance in that thing. We're going to literally take time to do that. Right now, even as I'm, I'm sitting here, I want you to take just a moment. You don't have to close your eyes or be extra spiritual, but however you want to do it, I want you to sit down and think about even write it down, the, the good that you're pursuing, but that you're growing weary in. What is that God-honoring reality that you are striving for, but you're, gro- you're, you're quickly growing weary? You need to forgive somebody. Whatever it may be, just take a moment to think through what is the good that you're pursuing? You're trying to grow in patience, kindness, trying to grow in being generous, less selfish. Trying to grow in intimacy, trying to grow in knowledge of the word. What's the good that you're, you've been striving for that has been elusive and now you're growing weary? What is it? Okay, now that hopefully you got it. If you haven't found it, that's okay. You can do this later. Now I want you to comfort yourself with this. Remember this, there's no secret sauce. Okay, so now that you know what it was and you can confess that you've been growing weary in it, remember that you won't have it probably tomorrow. There's no secret sauce. Just get that, take comfort in that, take that out. And don't look at anybody else seeing that they have it and you don't and that you should. Now you have that thing and I want you to remember the labor, the prayers, the heartache, and the joys of the person of Jesus as he pursued the ultimate good thing, which was the salvation of your soul. Why? I think Jesus knows a little something about weariness. I think he understands a little something about endurance and perseverance to attain a good thing. Here's the paradox of the whole reality. He said you were the good thing that was worth attaining. Satan told you you was trash a few minutes ago. Jesus says, no, you are a good, you are my child. You're beautiful. You're mine. I'm going to give myself over time. This wasn't like it happened quickly. This is 30 years of life. This is three years of a hard, painful, joyful pursuit for you. Look what the scripture says in Isaiah 53, real quick. This is the reality of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering. 
who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people would turn away from. He was despised and we did not value him. But here's the beauty of the reality of this, this passage. He understands what weariness feels like. He understands what suffering feels like. Remember the reality that Jesus can empathize with you in your, your struggle, your search, your, your chase. He gets it. But our God was not dissuaded. He wasn't turned to the left or to the right because it continues in Isaiah 53. Give me verses 4 and 5. He himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. So right away, get... This is some beautiful things from the text. The gospel tells us, this passage is telling us, that God sent his son to do a hard, good thing. What we just read is hard. None of you will ever experience that. He died for the rebellious. We don't die for good people. He unified a broken people. We point our finger at them and categorize them. He made sinners right with God. I am the sinner that needs to be made right with God. And he brings justice to the nations because for some reason, all we sow is injustice because we're selfish by nature. In these words that you just saw, there was no shortcuts. There was no special sauce. There was no Michael's secret stuff. Have you ever thought about that? Couldn't God just have said it made some righteous? It's called being being righteous by fiat. That's what that means. It's a theological term. Just, But his justice demanded us punishment for the rebellion. Could he have done that? I don't know. But I think he did it this way so that we can see and identify. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says this. This is the encouragement you get from it. It says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Okay, it's for you. Put your name in there when it applies. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of God, or the right hand of the throne of God. Go back to Isaiah 53, verse 11 through 12. After these things, after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil. Sounds like he endured, and now he's reaping the rewards and spoils of his endurance. He endured the hardship of the, of the cross. He endured the shame, took the cross, and now he gets us. Therefore, I will give him many as a portion, and he will, he will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted 
to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and intercedes for the rebels. Beloved, if your place, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, if you've entrusted yourself to, to his enduring work, you're the fruit that Jesus has reaped. And we get, the, we get proximity to Jesus as a benefit for us to partake in. And then what he does is he sends us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in such a way so that we won't grow weary in our chase of well-doing for his glory. Therefore, I call you all to do this. Press on. Focus on the good. The fruit of your labors are not in vain if you don't give up. Your healing is coming. Your growth is coming. Community transformation is coming. Your joy in the Lord is coming. Fight the good fight because this is what the text promised us. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get tired of doing good. For if, uh, for if, uh, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. 